0: So, here we are at the last part, part four of new, new what, new beginnings, new beginnings. And today's message is called, that's actually not correct, but it must be my fault. It should have just said new commandment, singular, but there we go, new commandments. New commandment, a new commandment. I missed that. We, we go through it all on Friday, and I totally missed that. So a new commandment, singular, because under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, remember the first week we did a new covenant? Does nobody remember that? It was only three weeks ago or something like that. We did a new covenant. Under the Old Covenant, there were the Ten Commandments, And then they were explained more fully in over 600 other laws. But under the New Testament, we have one commandment, and one only, because we can't keep all these commandments. That's why we need Jesus. We break all of God's laws. We are sinners, and we need a Savior to save us. That's why we need Jesus. If we could have kept them all, we wouldn't have needed a Savior. And we have a Savior who saves us from our sins, and then He only asks us to keep one commandment. Now, I want to say this first. This message is going to be a little bit different than my normal kind of message. Normally, when you hear a message at church, we think of preaching and teaching. Those are the two kinds of messages that are brought forth at church, preaching and teaching. And me personally, I tend to teach more and preach less. Darren, on the other hand, I think he tends to preach more and teach less. But we need both of those. We need preaching, which is when we take Scripture and really apply it in your life in a way that is motivating you to believe God, to take a step of faith, to follow the Lord, that kind of thing. And teaching is when we will take scripture and break it down so that you understand what it's saying so that it doesn't seem foolish when someone preaches and tells you to trust God and take a step of faith. We know we can because someone has taught us who God is and what faith is and so on. So we need preaching and teaching. And those are the two kinds of messages that we get in churches. Today, But actually, in the Bible, there's three types of things that pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to teach and explain God's Word. They're supposed to preach and proclaim God's Word. But they're also supposed to simply publicly read God's Word. Paul said to Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said to him, give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and to teaching, right? So, today, we at churches tend to emphasize preaching and teaching because we all presume that you're all reading the Scriptures at home, but I don't think you are. So, I think we should probably at times do what the Bible does and publicly read Scripture, just commenting on it briefly as the message, as well as proclaiming it in preaching and explaining it in teaching. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read a lot of passages of Scripture about the one and only commandment, the new commandment that Jesus gave to us. We're going to see what it is, and I'm simply going to make some comments as we're going through now, as you drove in to the church today, you would have driven past our big sign, and underneath our sign, there's a strap line, and it says, love God, love people, love life. It's almost like our slogan or our motto here at Gateway, love God, love people, love life. Now, where did we get all that from? Like, did we just sit in the office one day and think it up? Did we hire a PR company to come up with a catchy slogan? No. We got it from the lips of Jesus himself, okay? And here's what Jesus said in Mark's gospel. Let's have a look at it. Jesus, it says here, Mark 12, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, and remember there was over 600 that they had to keep, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, spirit, mind, and body, your whole life. And then he says, the second So you could kind of say there's two commandments, but later on in the Bible, they put them together just as one, love God and love people. Um, The second is equally important. Everybody say equally important. So it is important to love God. I mean, that comes first place in our life. But loving God and hating people is not an option, okay? Okay. And, I mean, I've met pastors over the years, and it's like, oh, I love God, but I can't stand the people anymore, you know. And it's like, I think you need a sabbatical, you know. So, um, it's, it's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, we have paraphrased the first part that says... The Lord our God, the Lord is the the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, we've kind of paraphrased that long sentence into two words, love God, okay? And the second is equally important, love your neighbor, we've paraphrased that as love people, because Jesus was once asked, when Jesus once said this and he was asked, okay, who is my neighbor? Who is this person I need to love? And Jesus answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan, those ethnic people that, you, that don't get on with you, Jewish people, and you don't get on with them, in fact, you don't like them so much you even avoid their country when you're traveling, they're even your neighbor. It's not your next-door neighbor. It's not the neighbor that you like. It's the person who's different from you. It's anybody. So love your neighbor means love people. So we have paraphrased that. Love God, love people. And then if we just put love yourself, that that might not get the right... People might think that's a bit egotistical. You know, it's like, yes, I love... uh, You know, I don't know about Canadian culture, but growing up in Scotland, that used to be an insult. Yeah, she's in love with herself, people used to say, as an insult to the person. And so love yourself could sound a bit selfish or something. Even though Jesus says it, love your neighbor as yourself or in the same way. But what does Jesus mean by that? It doesn't mean be selfish, obviously. If you're going to love others, you're not being selfish. He means Love yourself, love the life that you have been given by God. So in other words, this whole thing can be paraphrased into six words. Love God, love people, and love your life. The life that God has given you as a gift because your life is God's gift to you, and what you do with it is your gift back to him. So love God with all your heart and being. Love other people, and love your life. Don't resent it and all that kind of stuff. There's no other thing greater than these. That's why we've got that as a strapline, because Jesus said it's the most important thing. Now let's read on. Then the guy, let's read the next slide. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by in the law what he's saying is loving God, having a relationship with God and having a loving relationship with other people is more important than all the religious rituals that people think are important. Some of them baptism is important, communion is important, but this is way more important, right? And then um, realizing how much the man understood Jesus said to him, I love this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What does he mean you're not far from the kingdom? You're seeing something, you're understanding something. Now, he wasn't in the kingdom of God yet because before anybody could be In the kingdom of God, Jesus had to die for our sins, be buried, rise again on the third day, ascend to heaven and pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit by the day of Pentecost. And then the gospel could be preached, and anyone who believes is born again, for unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he wasn't, he hadn't entered the kingdom, he had to wait till Jesus died and rose and the price was paid and the gospel was preached. But he wasn't far from it. He wasn't far from it. He was hanging around the outskirts of the kingdom. He could see that Jesus represented the true and living God, and he wanted in on this. And so, God's love for us is supposed to move us so that we become people who love the Lord our God, love other people as we love ourselves. And there's actually a psychological connection between those last two. Do you know if you don't love yourself, if you, if you despise yourself and things like that, hate the way you look, hate your appearance, hate your personality? Um, I know a lot of teenagers go through that for two or three years, and they try to put on fake personalities and so on to fit in with other people, and they dislike them. But some people continue with that mindset for life, When you don't even like yourself, it is hard to love other people. Now, you might think, no, no, I do love other people. Yeah, with a needy love, you need someone else. I'm needy, I'm worthless. I need to find somebody else who's codependent, who needs to be a carer, who will care for me all the time. It's like an unhealthy relationship. But when you are totally free from condemnation, from guilt, from all of the stuff that would hold self-loathing and all of that, when you're free of all of that, and you know that God loves you just the way you are, and he's, work, he's working on you to make you what you should be, and you can accept yourself the way you are, you are free from so many internal hang-ups that it makes relationships with other people so much easier and so much healthier. And so let's just look at our next scripture for a moment. It says here, John 13, as soon as Judas left the room, sometimes you might not want to share your heart until a certain person has left the room. But that doesn't mean you don't love them. It might just mean you don't trust them. Do you know that loving someone does not mean you have to be abused by them? Loving someone does not mean you have to put yourself in danger or harm's way. Like, Jesus loved all his disciples, but he knew this dude was a bad apple, and he was waiting until he was out the road, Right? So, once Jesus left the room, once Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory, and God will be glorified because of Him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, He will give His own glory to the Son, and He will do so at once, meaning that this whole redemption is about to take place. Dear children... I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come to where I am going. So I am now giving you, what? Say it with me. A new commandment. I am now giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. How did Jesus love people? If we've to love each other, now there's all kinds of things going on here. Because in the one hand, we have to we've to love people. We've to love everybody. Now it doesn't mean you have a personal relationship with eight billion people, but we're to we're to treat everybody in a loving manner. But now he's talking about believers who are God's children, who have become the family of faith. And although we should love everyone, there is supposed to be a special family love that believers share with one another, that there's something different. Let me put it this way. God even loves that way. Do you know that God loves everybody? The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But as we're going to see as we read on, God does love everyone, but God has a special love for his people, for his children. He has a special love for for them. So God is a father and we are his children. If you are a father... You might be loving to everyone else's children, but I'm sure you have a special love for your own children, right? That's what it's saying. God, has, he loves the whole world, but he holds his own children in a special love. Or how about this? The Bible says Jesus is like the bridegroom and the church is like the bride. You might be a married man, And you might be be loving and compassionate and kind to every woman that you come into contact with, but I hope you have a special love for your own bride. A special love. And Christ has a special love for his bride. I want to tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much that before the world was created, God in his foreknowledge knew everything that would happen and everyone who would be born. And if you're a believer in Jesus, before the world was created, he wrote your name in his book of life. He said, he's mine, she's mine. That one over there, I I call them by name, the Bible says. I know you think that maybe what happened was life was uncomfortable for a while and you thought there must be more to life than this and you decided to look into whether God was a thing or not and whether Christianity, and then you made a decision to become a Christian, but that was not really what happened. What really happened was A long, long time ago, before the foundation of the world, God said, see that guy, Joe, he's mine. Write his name down in the book of life. I have a special love for him, and I am going to win him over, draw him in, redeem him, save him, make him my child, and bring him into my family. That's how much he loves you. Now, I know your theological mind is trying to compute, did I choose God? Just forget all of that and accept the fact that, listen, you had nothing to do with your own birth. Your mommy and daddy did something nine months before you were born, okay? You had no choice in the matter. And God the Father did something before the world was even created, to ensure that you would be one of his children and you would be part of his family. That's how much he loves you. Let's read on. We've got another scripture. I think we've got to just go past the blank slide and go to the next passage. Oh, oh, we're at it, we're at it. Oh, sorry. So, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. This is from 1 John. And the whole, we're going to read... To, quite a bit of this passage because the whole book is all about God's love. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. You know, the New Testament is full of something called the one another's. Pray for one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another. But more than anything, it says over and over and over again, love one another. So it says here, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, God is a lot of things. God is spirit, Jesus said, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy. God is a lot of things. But one of the major attributes is God is love. Not God has love. You see, the Bible never says God is anger. It says that he occasionally gets angry. But his anger lasts for a moment. Because he's, it doesn't say he is anger. His anger lasts for a moment, but His love endures. What's the next word? Forever. He is love. And anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we may have eternal life through Him. By the way, in our modern culture... We are living in the days of George Orwell, 1984, in case you haven't noticed, where there's, was it 1984 or was it Brave New World that had Newspeak? I can't remember, but one of those dystopian novels had Newspeak, where the government changed the meaning of all, all kinds of words, you know, war is peace, love is hate, and that kind of thing. And that's a culture people don't know what love is now. So, someone is indulging in toxic, self-destructive behavior, and you love them enough to try and stop them and try and help them and try and reason with them. And in today's culture, they say, if you really loved me, you would affirm everything I'm doing. No, I would only do that if I hated you and didn't care what happened to you. If I didn't care that you were destroying your own life and everybody else's life, if I didn't care, I would let you do it. It's love that compels us to look out for the best interests of people. And I think we all know that very often the decisions that we make are not in our own best interest or in anyone else's, right? So love is not... um, just agreeing with everything somebody says. You know, you've got a lot of thoughts in your mind and they, have, they say things that are the exact opposite and you think the loving thing to do is to agree with them all the time. No, that's basically taking your brain out and throwing it away and saying, I don't have a brain, I'll just accept everything that your brain comes up with. That's not love, right? Love does accept people just the way they are, but love is a force that transforms people into what they should be as well. Well, i give you an example. Jesus, John's gospel, the woman that was caught committing adultery, the people wanted to stone her. Jesus dealt with the people. They all left. Then Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. And he said, well, I do not accuse you either. Jesus accepted the woman just the way she was in her sinful and fallen and broken condition. He did not condemn her. He loved her and accepted her as she was. But because it was genuine love, he then didn't want her to stay in that situation. He says, neither do I condemn you. I accept you just the way you are. Now go and leave your life of sin because the loving thing to do is to encourage you to stop this destructive behavior that you're in. So can I, I know it's not part of Canadian culture. I know we are all people kind and all of that kind of thing. But can I just tell you what the truth is? The truth is this. If I truly loved my children, if I truly loved my family, I would not sit back and encourage them to indulge in behaviors and to indulge in belief systems that are false, that are a lie, that are not true, that are contrary to the Word of God, that will destroy their life in this life and will lead them to an eternity without Christ. What kind of love allows that to happen? A true loving person Wants to rescue people out of the danger they're in, even the people that don't want rescued. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save sinners, not to tell us sin all you want, it doesn't matter, to come and rescue us because we were drowning in a sea of sin and lostness. And love compelled him to come and rescue us. True love accepts people the way they are, but challenges them to become all that God has called them to be. Next slide. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. So, imagine imagine you were a kid and your parents had taken you on a mountaineering expedition or something like that and a blizzard came and now you were cut off from civilization. And as a child, you suddenly realize that you... Are totally out of your depth here you don't know what to do but your dad is saying it's okay kids it's okay I will get us out of this if you know that your dad loves you if you know that your dad has never harmed you and has only ever wanted the best for you you don't even need to ask any questions you don't need to say now hold on a minute father before I put my trust in you, I want a broken down statement of all of your plans, and I want to analyze them and make sure that they're, they're good. No, you would just say, my daddy loves me, and I trust him. You trust. You're not even trusting in your dad's knowledge or his experience. Maybe he's never been caught in a blizzard on a mountain before. Maybe he's got no experience, but you trust in his love. You trust the fact that He loves you enough that He won't let anything happen to you. And we are called to trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Have any of you ever prayed for more love or more patience? or something like that, oh Lord, I'm really short of this, you know. I'm really angry at somebody, and so on. Do you know what I've found really helps? Rather than praying about that situation, see when I get into worship, and I'm singing about the uh, overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, and how much God loves me, and I'm in his presence, and I feel that I'm filled up afresh with God's love, and then I bump into that person, I'm in a totally different attitude. God's love, I'm not saying, well, here comes that, I better try and be loving to them, you know? No, I'm already filled and overflowing with God's love for me, and it just spills out. You know, if if you make sure that you're continually filled up with God's love for you, It perfects the things that you do. So, look at this. I loved this during the worship. I knew I was coming up to share this scripture. Um, Erica felt led by the Holy Spirit to this. We're going to be singing the name of Jesus over our fears. Darian got a word about people who were struggling with fear and needed to be broken off them and so on. And here we are to quote the A-team. I love it when a plan comes together. Is MD old enough to remember that? I love it when a plan comes together. So here we are. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Christ as your Savior, and you're still scared of dying, you've missed the point, Okay? <laughs> When you die and stand before God, you should have no fear of the day of judgment because you're one of the people that God loved with a special everlasting love and saved and brought into his kingdom. You're a child of your heavenly father. You're part of the bride of Christ. And and if, you, if you're fearing, if you're afraid to see God face to face and you're genuinely saved and you're still afraid to see God face to face, then you're missing something, a revelation of how much he loves you. When you see him face to face, he's not going to be there with a stony face and arms crossed. He's gonna be waiting with a beaming smile and arms open. You're gonna run into the arms of your loving Father. You're gonna get to see your Savior Jesus face to face. It's nothing to be afraid of for believers. Look, we will not be afraid in the judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear, casts out all fear, removes all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced His love. If you're afraid, if now, if you ain't saved... (laughs) That's different. If you've never put your faith in Christ as Savior, if you're trying to navigate this life yourself and you think you're going to get into heaven yourself, can I just encourage you, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is only one hope of heaven, and that is Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. But if you've put your faith in him and you're still afraid of seeing God when you die, then all that means is you need to get a revelation of how much God loves you. Like if my children were scared of me, they would need a revelation of how much I love them. And we need a revelation of how much God loves us. We love each other because He loved us first. First. You say, I- I'm not good at the loving thing. Yeah, neither am I. But can I tell you something? He loved us first. And he can change our hearts and make us loving people. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. I remember once years ago, I pastored a church and there was a woman in it. And she was really encouraging if you were on the worship team. But she was not very encouraging if you were in the congregation. If you were on the worship team and you were looking out, it's encouraging for the worship team to see people worshiping, you know? It's not that encouraging if you're all like this, chewing chewing gum, right? But if you're worshiping, they feel like, okay, what we're doing is happening. That's great. And this woman was one of the most enthusiastic worshipers in the church. Oh, she would be worshiping God loudly. And she always had her eyes closed and a beaming smile on her face. She loved Jesus with all her heart, but she couldn't stand anyone in the church. And after the service, there would normally be an argument between her and somebody else someplace. That ain't the way it's supposed to be, church. Look. Look. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this commandment. Those who love God should always also love fellow believers. Let's read on. Next one. Romans. Before I get to the Romans one, I just want to, to tell you a quick story. Fellow believers doesn't just even mean all the people in the same church, although those are the people that we know the most. Before the services, you know, the staff and the volunteers meet for prayer on a Sunday about half an hour before the service starts. And before the service today, Spencer was leading that time, and he happened to mention, you know, he, he hasn't been at the services, he's just been following online, because he tested positive for COVID and had to stay away from church and so on. So, and this is what he said today. He said, I really missed the presence of God in this place and the feeling of unity when we come and we all mix together. I was on my own at home, and I missed that feeling of unity. I'm what so, You know, there is something, see when a room full of people are there with one focus and one purpose, and together we are worshiping God, together we are studying His Word, together we are praying, there is something about the unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is where the brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It is like the anointing coming down, for there the Lord commands the blessing it says in the book of Psalms. When we come together in unity, the anointing of the Spirit comes down, and God commands a blessing on us. Now, when I was a young pastor, I, I, I was leading a church, and on the same, it was on a main street, and on the same street further down, there was a big, really big Catholic church. But on a Monday night, in one of their halls, smaller hall, they had a Every Monday night they had Catholic charismatic renewal meetings there where they would sing all the same worship songs that we sang up there and they would lift their hands and they would pray in tongues and they would lay hands on the sick and all of that. Uh, but they didn't really know the Bible very well. So they invited me. They, they called me and they said, would you come and teach us the Bible for... They wanted me to go for nine weeks to teach on the nine gifts of the Spirit. So I went So and I met the bishop. The bishop said... So it took a Protestant to teach the Catholics the Bible, he said. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so they invited me down and I went and I would teach them in the nine weeks. And then at the end of it, they were having a service in another with another Catholic church someplace else. And they invited me to go just to be part of the congregation. And I went and it was in this kind of financially deprived area in this rundown Catholic church, not in the church, but in a little side hall. And the, the, when you went in the hall, it wasn't below ground, but it felt like it was a bunker underground or something like that. It was a really strange room. And it was jam-packed with people, most of whom were Catholics. So there was a few others there too. And we began to sing worship songs. And I want to tell you, I have felt the presence of God in many a worship service, but that grubby little horrible hall filled with Catholics who didn't know the Bible, and I wasn't even a Catholic, as we worshiped God together, I have never sensed the presence and power of God come into a service like I experienced there. Nobody cared who was a Catholic, who was a Protestant, who was a Pentecostal, who was a Baptist, who was a charismatic. The only thing we cared about was Jesus loved us, we loved Jesus, and therefore we all loved one another. And those were the days when we used to sing songs like, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and they will know we are Christians by our love. I think we need to get back to that in the body of Christ. What about you, church? Just love one another and forget the labels. Forget the labels. Okay, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears, there's Darian's word again, for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. That one passage, if we believed it, really, really, really believed it, it would transform every part of your life. Nothing that happens, nothing that happens can separate you from God. But I've just been diagnosed with a terminal disease. God still loves you. But will he heal me? He might. Let's let's join together in faith and believe that he might. But see, if he doesn't, it's even better. You're going to run straight into his loving arms and be there for all eternity. Nothing, not life, not death, not a bad diagnosis from the doctor or a speeding ticket from the cops, not the fact that your neighbors don't like you or they do like you. None of that makes any difference. Nothing will ever stop God loving you. And because of that, it's not you personally, it's all his children. Whatever label they give themselves to, but everyone who has been born of the Spirit, we are brothers and sisters. And I want to finish with the prayer of Jesus, because we're going to pray a prayer similar to it. And it's in John's Gospel. And Jesus said this, this is Jesus before he goes to the cross to die, and he's praying for his disciples. And after praying for his disciples, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. How do we know about Jesus? Where, who gave us the message about Jesus? His disciples? So if you believed in their message about Jesus, Jesus prayed for you. Do you see that? I pray that they will be divided into 65,000 different competing denominations. Is that what Jesus said? You do know that denominations were the devil's idea, right? So... I pray that they will all be just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you know God the Father loves you personally as much as he loves Jesus? I know it's hard to compute. As much as you love me, Father, I want these whom you have given me. There's something else. You know how he called you by name? He then gave you to Jesus. You're just like, if you're a a woman and you're married and your father was alive at the time, your father gave you away to the groom. God the Father, your spiritual father, called you by name and gave you to Jesus. And it says here um, that you gave them to me, I've lost my place, Uh, So I want those whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. They can see all the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Let's stand up. We're gonna pray. This is our motto. Love God, love people, love life. Can I encourage you all? Let's just, let's put our hands out to God like we are receiving His love. Let's close our eyes and let's say together, Father God, I am your child. I belong to you. You called me by name. You love me. You will love me for all eternity. I trust in your love. Fill me afresh with the love of God that casts out all fear. May your love overflow from me to other people. May I be loving as you are loving. And may your church Be one, be united, stand together, pray for one another, stand up for one another, hold the line. We are your people. We stand together, the children of God, the bride of Christ, the people of your love, the people who share your love, may it be so. In Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, Give him a praise church.